6: Welcome to How to Citizen with Baratunde, a show where we reimagine the word citizen as a verb, reclaim it from those who weaponized it, and remind ourselves how to wield our collective power. Democracy means people power, literally. I just want to talk with you for a minute, just me and you. I owe you a definition before we head too far on this journey together. And yeah, I know you thought this was like a podcast or a show, but it's a journey and we're going to go places. That journey is called how to citizen with Baratunde. I'm the Baratunde. There's a definition there. But on the citizen front, I need you to understand what we are not. We are not interested in your legal status. And we have a concept of what it means to citizen that goes far beyond voting, as important as that is. We think there are four parts to what it means to citizen. First, to citizen is to participate. It's a verb, not a noun, not an adjective. It's to show up, all right? Number two, to citizen is to value the collective and to work towards outcomes that benefit the many and not just the few. Number three, to citizen is to understand power and the various ways we have at our disposal to use it. And number four, to citizen is to invest in relationships with others and recognize our interconnectedness. This definition of what it means to citizen is going to serve us throughout the series. Participate, value the collective, understand power, and invest in relationships. In this episode, we are gonna talk about power. A quick word on how we make this show. We've recorded most of this episode in front of a live studio audience. Okay, it was Zoom, it was a live Zoom audience, but that doesn't take nothing away from nothing because Zoom is everything now and it counts. In the taping, you'll hear me tell a short story, hold a conversation with our featured guests, then open the floor to questions from the audience. I would love for you to join a future live taping. And you can do that by visiting howtocitizen.com, join my email list where those invites live, and also some pretty dope content I send out on a weekly basis, if I might brag a little bit. I send the
7: best emails.
6: And while I love the live audience, don't worry. It's just me and you right now, remember? And I'm going to catch up with just you on the other side And I'm going to give you some very specific ways to citizen, not just principles, actions. I want to start with a story from high school, specifically a classroom in my high school where I have some distinct memories. This room was on the first floor, had giant floor to ceiling glass windows, really well lit. And the first memory I have is actually of video games cuz my friends and I would wheel in this AV cart with a giant TV on top to play video games during off periods. It was a really unused room in the afternoons. So we played a lot of Madden. Uh, my second memory from this room is of breaking in to the school through this room. I spent a lot of time on campus. I was a part of the high school newspaper, had a lot of excuses to be there after hours, and one time I locked myself out of the building, had to get something back inside. And I knew that these little hinged windows at the base of the wall in this room would let me into the building. So I'm scrambling through this window and I hear this voice, Mr. Baratuna, is that you? Mr. Baratuna, is that you? And that was the voice of the head of security for the school, Mr. Ford. Fortunately, I had a great relationship with him because I had been advised early on, the first thing you do in an institution like this, you make friends with the cleaning staff. You make friends with the security staff, they might help you get out of a jam later on. And that's what happened because he didn't see some random black kid breaking into a predominantly white institution in a predominantly white and wealthy neighborhood in Washington, D.C. He saw an idiot. He saw the idiot that he knew, Baratuna, and he gave me the benefit of the doubt, let me inside through proper entry and exit points, and I was able to move on. The other memory I have of this room, though, is actually a classroom setting a learning environment, in Western Civ, the class we called Western Civ, Western Civilization. The teacher wheeled out that A.V. cart with a giant, at the time, television on top, and we were forced to watch this VHS of some old-school, like, Socrates, Plato, Aristotelian-looking dude leaning back in his white robe with his white beard and his bald white head, like a lot of white, saying something profound and grave. He said... How should men live? And we were just supposed to react to that question like, yo, that's the question. That's the once and future question to end all questions. Like, how do we organize our society? How do we share power, have a voice, govern ourselves? And it was Aristotle who gave us a simple framework for this. You got rule by the one, tyranny, boo. Rule by the few, oligarchy, still boo. Rule by the many, democracy. Yay! And we're supposed to celebrate that idea and that word, which literally breaks down in the Greek origin to people power. Being a citizen is exercising power. But when I've been hearing these conversations about the crisis of our democracy, about civic engagement, about citizenship, I rarely hear the word power being used. Instead, I hear a limited version of what we have as our power in this society, the the power to vote and the power to act as individuals. And both of those are far too narrow. Voting's mad important, don't get me wrong. It's very important, but it's not the whole game. And when you really think about it, voting is delegating power. We have a lot of energy devoted to giving our power over to professional politicians. That's like being asked to sign up as a superhero. You're welcome to the Avengers, Baratunde, you're in the squad. I'm like, what's my superpower? Oh, your superpower? You get to give your power away. If you're lucky, every two years. You excited about that? Like, I'm not that, I feel like you're missing some of the point of the superpower. even Hawkeye had better powers than that. He got to run around looking like a badass, had bow and arrows, ran real fast. I might prefer that to just delegation of power. The other oversimplification I think we have with our power in the system is It's focused on the individual, especially in the Western world. One person, one vote. Your voice matters. But we don't exist alone. We live among other people. We only know ourselves as a reflection of the people around us. And when we work with others, we multiply that power. So, what is this whole power thing? It's who gets what, when, and how. It's who decides that. Now, to jump into this conversation with me, We have quite a human person. I'm gonna call him a human person. Um, I first met Eric Liu virtually. We had been introduced by many different people over the years, but we met face-to-face in a non-socially distant space at the TED conference in Vancouver, Washington. And he was giving a talk about the power of citizenship. I was preparing to do my talk, but somewhat secretly plotting this show. And Eric said, when you're ready to do this, reach out, let's talk. So he's one of the first people I wanted to talk to about this. Eric is the co-founder and CEO of Citizen University, literally schooling people on what it means to be a citizen. He directs the Aspen Institute Citizenship and American Identity Program. He's written several books. I feel proud of my one book. Homie's got at least three books. The Accidental Asian, Notes of a Native Speaker, The Gardens of Democracy, You're More Powerful Than You Think. A Citizen's Guide to Making Change Happen, and actually a fourth one, more recently, Become America, Civic Sermons on Love, Responsibility, and Democracy. Eric has been in the game for a while. He wrote speeches for Bill Clinton. He was a White House policy advisor. He's been on the boards of the Washington State Board of Education and near and dear to my heart, the Seattle Public Library, because libraries rock Eric Liu, welcome to How to Citizen. Thank you for being here with us.
8: Cartoon Day, it's so great to be with you. I just uh, just love your whole framing of this whole thing and uh, looking forward to this conversation.
6: Where are you joining us from, Eric, and how are you right now?
8: Uh, I'm joining you from Seattle, Washington, which is uh, where I live. Uh, I'm joining you more specifically from my uh, mom's condo, because to be real, um, I'm spending a lot of energy helping take care of her through some health challenges. So th- that's where I'm at.
6: Yeah, well, my best to you and your mom. I'm glad you're able to be close to her and help take care of her. That's kind of what this is all about. I I looked through and our team looked through a lot of your work. It was more prolific and profound than even I understood when I met you at TED. So thank you for your contributions to this whole question of what it means to be a citizen. I want to talk with you more about this idea of power because you have spoken and written and I think behaved in a way that elevates the idea of literacy about power. And so much of the literacy that I think we're encouraged to pursue is literal, right? Learning how to read, consuming information, be informed, know the news. But you talk about power literacy. What is power to you? And what do you think we need to understand about it in the context of being a citizen in something that's at least like a democracy?
8: You know, it's such a great set of connected questions. and. You know, I start with just in the first place, um, unpacking what we mean uh, in my organization, Citizen University, when we even talk about citizen or citizenship, right? So how to citizen, the name of this show, Um, we think of citizenship not in terms of documentation status and passport holding. Uh, We mean it in the broader ethical sense of being a member of the body, a contributor to community, right? In a word, a non-sociopath right which uh, <laughs> which seems like a low bar but actually we all around us is evidence that there are a lot of people can't get over that bar right now right so wow uh, yeah. uh, but in that broader ethical sense and when we think about it in those terms we often use this very simple mock equation which is that power plus character equals citizenship that that to mm. live like a citizen in the deepest way is both to be fluent in power Um, and I'll unpack that in a moment, but also to couple that fluency and power um, with a grounding in what you might think of as civic character, which I don't mean like personal individual virtue, like work hard and, you know, persevere. I mean the social virtues of how do you live in public? How do you behave in community? How do you hold together a community, right? So those two halves of the equation are super important. And one of the things that really struck us in our work is that considering we're in a democracy, considering that theoretically, as you say, we have the power, we the people, um, most people are profoundly illiterate in power. Most people do not think about it, do not want to talk about it, do not want to name it. To the extent that it comes up, it seems like it's a a kind of a dirty word, a dirty topic, right? It's all all conniving and it's Game of Thrones and House of Cards kind of stuff, right?
6: Power brokers. Power brokers, power trip, you
8: you know, power mad, power hungry, all the connotations are negative, right? And- our most basic thing that we try to teach in our work is that power is simply, I mean, it just is. It's like fire, right? It's neither inherently good nor evil. And just because fire can be put to bad use doesn't mean that you should just turn away and put your head in the sand, not think about ways that it could be put to good use, right? And so it Mm. is with power in civic life. We define power really simply, which is a capacity to ensure that others do as you would like them to do.
6: Yo, that sounds I mean, that sounds like power, like to make other people do it. That's like my to control. to
8: ensure that others do as you would like them to do. Now that sounds super yeah. missing. And right. And people are like, whoa, whoa, like it. But let's be real in every mm-hmm. scale of our lives. Right. I'm not talking about voting and protesting. I mean, like you and the people you love, you and your workmates, you and your neighbors. We as humans are always trying to get other people to do as we would like them to do. Right. <laughs> And that is just what we're wired to want to be able to do in the world yeah. and that capacity when applied to questions of common interest and common consequence public concern is civic power um i think the central question of all civic power is this who decides right and so when we talk about illiteracy or illiteracy in power what that boils down to is that most people have no freaking idea who decides on anything yeah right so are, most people answer the question with a default, they. I can't believe they decided to start school in person or start school online. I can't believe mm-hmm. they canceled bus service. I can't believe they um, haven't yet built a, a grocery store in this food desert. I can't believe they, uh, whatever, right? and
6: Yeah, they don't want you to X. Yeah. Right?
8: And yeah. the fundamental lesson that we teach at Citizen University, but I think the fundamental teaching of democracy itself is there is no they. They is we, right? And oh, we have an right. obligation to actually get particular about in each case, well, who does the deciding? And how can I actually insert myself into that map of who does the deciding, right? Um, yeah. That is a literacy just like reading and writing. Who decided that these kinds of protests happening in cities around the United States right now would be met by unmarked federal agents, right? They decided, or maybe Trump decided, You know, maybe some people who pay attention to the news, maybe Attorney General Barr decided. Okay, yeah, but really, like when you boil it down, who decided that? Who can stop that? How do you mobilize people, ideas, money, force to resist that? Right. And I think questions like that that are not just theoretical, they are live in every community in the country right now, all turn on this question uh, of who decides. And that is the heart of civic power.
6: But why do you think power, the term and the literacy of it, has been absent from so much conversation about civic engagement and our role.
8: I think there's two reasons. One is democracy and civics gets taught if it gets taught anymore at all. But to the extent that it still does get taught, teachers in our more polarized controversy-filled age do not want to get in trouble. They do not want to go there, right? So there's often an instinct to go to the lowest common denominator, talk about the process stuff, how a bill becomes a law, uh, but not talk about the structure stuff that precedes process, right? Well, who, who gets to decide how a bill becomes a law? Uh, well, people in the Senate well, and people in the House. Well, Why? Because of the Constitution. Well, why? Because a, a group of people made a deep set of compromises with slaveholders about who was going to have power and say, oh, okay. So that's how a bill becomes a law, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? They don't want to go there, right? And and
6: yeah, it's not in the little animated, cute thing from the 80s yeah, or exactly, 90s.
8: right. And I think the deeper question, um, apart from just the you know uh, allergy to controversy that uh, exists mm-hmm. in a lot of places, um, is frankly our culture, right? So everything in our small D democratic culture says, you know, you Baratunde, you have the power to remake your life. The brand of you, you can do this all the time, right? It's the Mm. it's the civic equivalent of the economic message we get all the time, which is you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And if your situation isn't great, that's because you suck. That's your problem, right? That's on you. And I think in our culture, Mm. there's this allergy also to talking about collective action, collective responsibility, and collective power, and how things got rigged the way they got rigged. And why maybe it's not because you're lazy or not effective or not smart enough uh, that you keep getting smooshed down. Maybe it's because the game has been stacked and rigged against you and people like you for generations. Um, I often think about the conversation that you and I are having and the, and the whole point of your show as part of a greater cause right now, which is we got to make civic sexy again. <laughs> right? Civic engagement, is, you know, just, it, it just forces you to nod <laughs> snooze off. It's like a right? big snooze but button. The, yeah. But, but yeah. You make civic sexy again by being honest about what it is and what it is, it's about power. It's about people claiming power, about people contesting yeah. power, right? And, and for the same reasons we are drawn to Game of Thrones or House of Cards, we ought to be drawn to participation, except we're not just spectators now, we are participants and we can actually exercise this stuff. And that's, uh, that, that's worth learning.
6: There's an irony in here that I'm trying to tease out. Democracy means people power. And we use the verb version of that word, to democratize, to indicate the distribution of some good. We've democratized access to information, meaning more people have access to it. Everything we need and can claim is in that word, people, power. And yet we haven't democratized the meaning of the word itself. Mm -hmm. We have kind of kept the deep meaning, the power part of it, and the people, the multiple people, not just the person, not the army of one inside of you, not brand <laughs> you. We've buried that and we've muted the power and trimmed it down. And so we've got to democratize democracy itself, at least our interpretation of Th- that it.
8: That is so absolutely right. And I think part of that is about narrative and culture and projects yeah. like this show and some of the things that we try to do at Citizen University. You know, we, we have programs that are about not just teaching in a workshop way, but creating communal rituals uh, where people can come and gather and practice this stuff. But I think the other thing that you're really pointing to, again, back to what we were talking about about literacy and power, You know, I often talk about how there's three laws of power uh, that are really worth understanding. Ooh, I love laws. Let's go. Here we go. So law number one, power compounds, right? That's as obvious as the world we live in right now, right? The world of the 1% or the 0.1% and everybody else. Power, Like like like,
6: interest, power compounds. Power compounds.
8: Those who have will have more, right? Those Mm. who have not will have even less over time, right? Law number two, power justifies itself. At every turn, those who hold power will spin elaborate narratives about why this allocation of things is the God-given way of the world, right? This is just the natural order of things. Uh, And in different times, that's taken on different casts. but that is the backstory of white supremacy. That is the backstory of male supremacy, right? And you might think, oh, well, that's history. That's old stuff. You spent time in Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley is a bastion of both white and male supremacy, right? And there are storylines about why people who are not white or male aren't cut out for this world. The narrative of trickle-down economics is all around us. The idea that a few super rich people are capital J, capital C job creators, and we shouldn't tax them too much. We shouldn't regulate them too much because we want their prosperity to leak its way down to the rest of us, right? That's a wonderful fable, but as economics, it's complete BS, right? The true source of prosperity is not a few rich guys at the top, it's the rest of us. And when workers have more money, businesses have more customers, right? That's how you create prosperity. That's a counter narrative to that, right? And so Mm. if these first two laws of power, that power is always compounding into fewer and fewer hands, and it's always justifying itself, and those few are telling you why you should be happy with the crumbs you got, you'd be in a pretty grim doom loop, right? What breaks us out of that doom loop though, is law number three. Power is infinite. Power is infinite. What? What I mean by this, I'm not, you know, you might think, oh, here's a dude from Seattle coming to sell me a new age, (laughs) a new age kind of manifest your power. You know, I'm not doing new age stuff. I'm saying this. It is in even the most rigged situation, in even the most unequal stacked situation, it is entirely possible to generate brand new power out of thin air through the magic act of organizing. And generating power out out of thin air is the only thing that saves us in a democracy, that you can actually cr- change that equation, right? Um, now, of course, incumbent power holders also can generate power to thinner, and they will counter-organize to block you. And this, you have this perpetual game of organizing, counter-organizing, mobilization, counter-mobilization. You know what? There's a word for that, politics. Politics <laughs> in a democracy, right? That's what we gotta do. Another That's our responsibility <laughs> for showing up, right? And there's no, it's not one and done. It's not, oh, I organized. We fixed it, right? It's a perpetual, never-ending thing. And if you start uh, relaxing, then you will in fact see power over time.
6: Uh, I think it's, it's humbling and hopeful at the same time because we've all felt uh, acted upon by power and this thought that there is a cabal somewhere. And sometimes there really is a cabal, like it's not a conspiracy, there's like a pretty small room with a bunch of dudes in it making decisions about say the borders that will comprise the continent of Africa, for example or tax policies in the United States, as another example. Mm-hmm. But I, there is hope to me in the idea that we can generate it ourselves and that we can kind of spin up or accelerate a perpetual motion machine, add some velocity and some mass to it to get more momentum behind our desired allocation of that power. Yeah. We're um, living we through it right
8: now. That. I mean, absolutely, you know, the, the, yeah. the waves and waves of awakening and activism uh, that followed the murder uh, of George Floyd. Uh, and even yeah. prior to that, the creativity brought to bear in new forms of organizing since the pandemic hit. Uh, both of these, uh, there are some tectonic things going on in our country right now. Something is shifting, right? Yeah. And that shift depends on us not, again, not acting like Americans often act, which is a short attention span squirrel. Like, what, what, what's the next distraction, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, but actually, like, no, persist in practicing power. And the other piece of it that you were talking about earlier, I got to come back to, because remember I said at the beginning, we have this equation at Citizen University, power plus character equals citizenship, right? Yeah. I got to say a note about the character side of this, right? Because if all you do is get really practice at power and learn and figure out ways to move money, move ideas, move people, you know, mobilize, uh, you know, those who have uh, means of force and violence, and it's untethered actually to any ethical or moral purpose, then in fact, you are just becoming a finely skilled sociopath, right? Um, And that is not what we're, that's not what we're trying to cultivate in our work. And I know that's not what you're, you know, that's not how to citizen, right? How to citizen is both coupling that literacy and power with, who am I doing it for? How am I bringing more people into the fold? How do I actually take a knee, literally and metaphorically, uh, for somebody who's not here? Um, How do I circulate whatever power or privilege I might have um, in a way that, uh, actually is to the benefit of the whole? And how do I change the narrative so that doing that isn't the act of a sucker or an altruist? Doing that is understood as self-interest properly understood because we're all in it together.
0: I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. Us. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh.
1: How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world.
7: People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: I want to step back to the power thing because you took us through these laws. Is there like a menu of power that we get to choose from, yeah. or to get it out
8: of the vagueness of power? Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Um, to get it out of the vagueness is the key, right? Um, in just the same way that there's no they. There's a particular we or a particular group of people who we can insert ourselves into. Power isn't just some mystical blob. Um, it takes, you know, <laughs> in my book, and you're more powerful than you think, I talk about six different sources of power. Okay. I love the numbers. You got
6: three laws. You got six sources of power. This is you're great. You're going to love I the like next one. I got nine
8: strategies of power, too. Uh, no, so yeah, yeah. three, six, nine. It's okay. A, it's, a, it's a baseball talk kind exp- of thing. exponential. So, uh, yeah. uh, base, base three, yeah. But, you know, sources of power. So the obvious ones, money people power, okay. like numbers, right? Uh, mm-hmm. What we've seen all around the country, uh, the, the power of ideas, right? The idea, not, of, not even of something as abstract as liberty, uh, but the idea, for instance, of Black Lives Matter. That's an idea yeah. that a few years ago uh, was much more on the margins. And now you got practically, you know, every Fortune 500 company rushing out there to say, they agree, Black Lives Matter, right? Um, there's,
6: there's, there's another one that comes to mind, kind of on a different end of the spectrum, But the idea of an inheritance tax being rebranded as a death tax. Absolutely. Right. The way you frame things, that's a form of power, right? Absolutely.
8: Right. So so you got money, people, ideas. Social norms is another super important source of power. How we together define what's okay and what's normal. Right. So, again, look at the unfolding debates about trans identity. Right and about pronouns, like we are in the midst of a collective reckoning and rearrangement of what social norms are, right? We've already now had the Supreme Court literally sanctify and bless what had been an agreement among so many of us as a matter of social norms that love is love. Whether the couple is same sex or not, love is love, right? Um, That didn't happen because politician A said so. It didn't happen because corporation A didn't add campaign. It happened because in a distributed way, Millions upon millions of people had conversations with each other, and started changing their sense of you know what I have. A, I used to have this belief, but this person in my life, this person I'm connected to, is changing my heart and my mind and my sense of norms. Right. So social norms is a fourth important source of power. A fifth one, of course, which we are seeing, unfortunately and powerfully in evidence right now, is force, violence. Mm, yeah. Right. Yeah. Whether that is organized under the aegis of the state in bill bars, you know, massed. Uh, Gestapo, uh, or, or whether it is, uh, you know, the self-organizing militias of uh, AK-47 carrying protesters in Michigan at the state capitol who didn't want to have the tyranny of wearing a mask imposed upon them, right? Um, or going without a
6: haircut, yeah. which I can understand. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, this fade is, is this, no this longer This is why tight. I was
8: worried that we you were know? doing video, because this, uh, this, <laughs> this is not my best look. Uh, but, but force is, is one, right? Uh, ultimately, the, and the final one is the state the power of the state Mm. to actually set rules and norms, whether it's about something as tangible as, hey, how much did you get for an hour of flipping burgers? 750, how about 15, how about $15 an hour, right? And why? Well, because enough of us convinced our government, the state, to say that $15 is the minimum wage. Uh, $15 is the minimum basis for dignity and security uh, for an hourly wage earner, right? Um, And so you take all these different sources of power, and they're all on display right now in good, bad, and ugly forms uh, all around us, right? And again, you gave my bio at the beginning. My worldview is left of center. Uh, But our work at Citizen University, we work with and learn from people across the ideological spectrum, right? Um, We gather folks ranging from Black Lives Matter and Fight for 15 activists and dreamers um, to Tea Party co-founders, right? Uh, Because what animated them on one level, as much as they may... Uh, disagree fiercely on policy, what animates them on one level is some interest in activating bottom-up citizen power, right? Bottom-up yeah. people power. And my view is, uh, to your point, we got to democratize democracy. we got to make sure everybody, uh, whatever their politics, whether they're from a small rural town or a big uh, city, um, gets some baseline literacy, and then let us fight it out. Let us argue it yeah. out. Let us debate it out. Let us do that thing called politics, right? But the politics will be more meaningful Uh, to the extent that we've actually gained that initial literacy in both the laws and the sources uh, of power.
6: Thank you for that uh, deeper explanation. Three laws, six sources. And I think that for me, um, it gives me a sense of power, and I don't feel like I'm overusing the word, just to have options. You know, I don't want to feel like there's only one thing I can do. And so if I'm starting to think about money as a source of power. That gives me a certain lens and a certain approach versus mass mobilization, or even small mobilization of of someone other than myself, uh, versus ideas, which is a place I naturally live in, and less so in the world of money. So I think you you allow an entry point for everyone when you do that. I wanna take this time, uh, we've got some questions starting to come in during this uh, recording, from our community uh, around us. And so Robert Beats uh, has a question, how can you define a citizen without ultimately excluding people that live in a country? Is that okay? Talk more about that, the idea that you can be a citizen without having the right paperwork files. Yeah, I
8: mean, of course, there is a legal definition of U.S. citizenship, uh, and yeah. that matters, right? I, I, I get that. I mean, the, the vote is tied to that, for instance, right? But in the work that we're doing, and I think the work that you're doing here, we are trying to open up a much broader, capacious idea of what it means to live like a citizen, right? And again, whether you have the papers or not, how you live like a citizen has to do with whether you join, whether you serve, whether you listen, whether you argue well, whether you participate, whether you vote, whether you protest. If you can't vote, whether you encourage others to, right? Basically, it all boils down to whether you show up for others, right? And I think that. You know, to the second part of that question, you know, well, who do we show up for? I mean, sometimes I get the version of the question of, well, why talk only about the United States, right? I mean, there's global citizenship and we're all, you know, we're all humans. And yes, that's true. Um, And again, nothing like a pandemic to teach us that many problems, including uh, novel coronaviruses, don't care about our borders or about our Mm. national institutions. Uh, But at the same time, the pandemic is also teaching us painfully in the United States right now compared to people you know, right up the way from me in Canada and in other parts of the world, that nations still matter because nations still are the unit of moral agency. They are the unit at which we can actually ask somebody for redress of our grievances, right? You got a problem, you don't have health insurance, you cannot go petition the World Health Organization, right? Yeah. They're busy yeah. right now doing other stuff, but you know, even if they weren't busy, you couldn't go petition them for health insurance, right? You would petition your national government, flawed as it may be, rigged as it may be. That's who you'd go to, right? And so nations still matter. And this nation in particular matters, I think, because, you know, frankly, there might be conversations going on about citizenship and democracy in other places right now, but not a lot that look like you and me talking and the other people in this community participating and listening, right? Um, In the United States in particular, we realize right now that democracy works only if enough of us believe democracy works.
6: And it's a, it's kind of a faith-based, it's a thing. faith-based thing, right? <laughs>
8: you know? And we in the United States have this special burden to try to live up to that because we can't just default to, well, we're all part of the same Volk, you know, with all the same kind of bloodlines and legends and all that stuff. No, we're not. We're just a g- bunch of people uh, bound together by a set of ideas about how we're going to try to do this thing together, right?
6: No, the, and the togetherness and the relationships and the with others and the for others, that empathy is i think it just again it unlocks an entry point for people and especially you know one of the consequences of limiting our power to the interpretation of you get to vote and you get to have your atomic unit of self interest is that you leave a lot of people off to the side you leave people who don't have documentation off cuz you can't vote without that or if you're formally incarcerated in certain yep. states uh, or by yep. age you know and we have seen so much mobilization one of those um, sources of power that you talked about earlier with people under voting age in this country and around the world. The climate crisis and the response to it is being led powerfully by groups of young people who are prohibited from exercising one form of power, but have infinite amounts. Again, I'm yep. trying to reflect back what I've heard from you. Like, am I doing it right, professor? Yep. <laughs> um, to, well done. To, well to done. exercise that power in a different way. And, and that relationship, You know, even the way you've talked about the openness of your university, not just to left of center people, yeah. that we need a space to kind of build that relationship. If all are interested in at least that basic premise, like if there's someone who's just down for tyranny, I'm not sure if they have a place. But if you believe in power to the people, and at least you say that, and we're going to try to test that with each other, then that's a relationship. We spoke with Valerie Kaur for this show as well. Her new book is called See No Stranger. And it's built on a similar premise that. Your opponent, one, is not necessarily your enemy, Mm. but that a stranger is just a part of you who you have yet to Mm. know. Um, And so how do you integrate others, even as you disagree Mm. with them, in a process of humanity, uh, which is to see them as part of you? And I think there's a connective tissue here with the idea of valuing relationships, about working with others, about humanizing even opponents in the project of democratizing democracy through citizening. Yeah, that through being that, that citizen. is absolutely
8: yeah. right, you know, and I think that, you know, we often talk about in our work um, when we're training people to lead these Civic Saturday gatherings, right, uh, that it's about cultivating bonds of trust and affection, right, so trust requires in the first place that, like, I know if I walk in here, you're not gonna ambush me, uh, you're not here to flame me, like, we're, this is not a one and done, you, you know, the point of this is not scorched earth, this is, we're, we're in a game of infinite yeah. repeat play, Right, together, <laughs> and we're going to earn each other's trust by continuing to come back here. But the affection yeah. part of that doesn't mean that I actually have to like you. But I have to. I love how you put it that that to see you, the stranger, as a part of me that I haven't yet discovered, right? Um, and that rehumanization is so much a part of you know. You've you've emphasized a couple times now in, in things that you've said, Bartunde, about kind of the access to this stuff, right? This is concepts, laws of power. I know that can sound kind of high minded and stuff, but this is stuff for everybody. Right, And you talk about young people. So where I live in Seattle, in King County, which is the county that surrounds Seattle, um, over the last number of years, when the Black Lives Matter movement started to pick up steam several years ago, a group of unheralded, unknown young people of color, mainly African-Americans, started organizing to block the the creation of a new youth detention center, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And they went under the slogan, no new youth jail. And they organized, they activated, they showed up at council meetings, and you know what happened over and over again? They lost. They kept losing votes. The thing kept on going. The project kept on getting approved. And they started, they laid the ground for, and they started building this thing, right? But these young people kept on organizing. They kept on building allies. They kept on sharpening their skills and their literacy and power. And then what happened? 2020 happened. And the combination of the pandemic and the post-George Floyd uprisings led to this incredible shift in the frame of the possible. And they were ready for it. And they'd been organizing, they had those bonds of trust and affection, not just with each other, but with allies in power all over the place in this community. And all of a sudden they were able to take that moment and apply pressure on the elected officials and the decision-makers, the who decides of this, and say, now I think it's time for you to reconsider this. And guess what? Just last week, the King County executive said, you know what, we're gonna depopulate this youth detention center. We're gonna take down this youth jail. So what looked like a repeated, repeated, repeated defeat and setback turns out right now to have been a victory, right? These are young yeah. people who just showed up and started teaching each other by showing up and practicing this stuff. Um, ideas like the stuff we're talking about, hopefully helped inform them. And you know, um, some of them were involved in stuff that we've done at Citizen University, but I take no credit at all because these are just, this is a rising generation, as you said, of people who are figuring yeah. it out by doing it. And that is super exciting. And What you and I can do is help shine a light help them make sense of what they're doing and and give it some frameworks. And then again, democratize this stuff about democracy, right? So um, my friend, and I believe your friend too, uh, Brittany Packnett Cunningham, um, uh, Mm -hmm. is one of the co-founders of something called Campaign Zero, right? Um, Campaign Zero is this policy platform and framework for people who initially joined the activism after a whole host of police killings of unarmed black men and boys, and wanted to figure out, well, how do we pivot? How do we pivot from showing up in the streets to changing the system? Um, and they made, they answered that question with this incredible menu of things that break it down for you, right? It's, again, it's not just the system. There's the piece of the system that's about police training. There's a piece of the system that's about prosecutors who can be unelected uh, if they don't serve the people, right? There's a piece of that uh, puzzle uh, th- that is about the media and how you educate the media Uh, in following these stories before the fact, before something goes down rather than after it goes down, right? Um, And there's this incredible menu of tools there. And I think that what they did with Campaign Zero can and should be done across every possible issue. Your issue might be climate, your issue might be guns, your issue might be gender equality. Uh, Whatever the issue is, there's a way to go from that initial burst of protest, which is often pushing against something, to a concerted, systematic way to build for something, right? And again, uh, just to repeat your refrain, you can't do that alone. You gotta join others. You can join a club. You can join a a group of people hanging out uh, at the corner. You can join a a party. It doesn't matter, just join. Uh, The act of joining is the beginning of uh, creating that infinite uh, civic power.
1: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe.
4: Mexico will likely have its first female president.
3: And then you have China. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession.
5: But the problem is that that paperwork, as our
3: reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
7: Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose, I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations.
6: It's always the feeling
7: when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: All right, we're going to uh, bring in, and speaking of joining, Nat Towson. I believe Nat is coming to us from New York City, New York.
8: Uh, Yeah, so I'm coming to you from Brooklyn, New York. I'm in my kitchen because it's close to the Wi-Fi router. Uh, And so my question is, how do we convince people who have no demonstrable empathy that they should care about other people? And if you want to look at that in a political system, how do we convince Americans who bought into the myth of American individualism that individualism has failed us and that collectivism uh, is the way that society should function for the betterment of everyone in that society. Uh, it's a great um, question because it's not easily answered. You know, I mean, I think that you're, you're, asking, uh, you're asking a tactical question about how you deal with individuals in interactions, and then you're asking a much bigger strategic question about how do we deal with our culture, right? So let me say a word about each of those levels, because you know, on the tactical level, when you're, you know, whether it's online, invite people into conversation where, again, where it's possible to build trust, where you actually know who you're talking to, right? But, you know, I think on that human level, I still think that even the person who, for a variety of reasons, and many of them just have to do with their kind of tribal polarized political identity, dig into a set of talking points and a point of view that, well, you should have been more careful. You shouldn't have done this. You take it away from that and you begin with a series of questions, right? And so one layer of questions is basically like, how do you feel like you are most misunderstood? Okay, that's a disarming question. How are you most misunderstood, right? Now you're kind of getting them to let down their guard a little bit and open up a bit more of their three-dimensional humanity. Um, But then the second question is, what are you most afraid of if your side loses, right? If your worldview does not prevail? Like, what are you, not what are you afraid of in the abstract and theory, like, what are you afraid of for you and those around you and those you care about, right? And again, it gets to some of the, um, the fear, the fear, the shame, the hurt that often animates um, some of these most antisocial, uh, civic and political attitudes, right? And if you can somewhat detoxify them at the outset, you might have a shot in this one-on-one conversation where if you've earned some trust and you know you're not just kind of a one and done, I'm going to flame you and, and, and be off this platform, you have a shot there. Now, you, we get to the very interesting question, which you know, is the question of culture and media, right? Of how do you scale from one-to-one, like, epiphanies to culture change, right? Um, How do you scale that? And I think part of it is we do it by doing what we're doing here, right? Not just me and Bartunde having a conversation, but you joined this conversation. You decided to show up and participate in the middle of the day and then shape it. And we, over time, in ways that are much harder, have to, again, make it more possible for more people to enter into conversations where they can question that mythology of rugged individualism. And you can do it in a way that's not got you, but you ask you like, again, I have a different pair of questions that I often use with people in, in work that I used to do around mentorship, which is who's influenced you and how do you pass it on? Right? You ask that question, if I asked Fertuna that question, we did an hour on that, he would unscroll this list of mentors, tour mentors, people who've shaped him, people who've you know managed him, people who've coached him. And you can't start answering that first question without realizing no man is an island. No one is self-made. There is no such thing as a self-made man or woman, right? We are all made by each other. We all make each other, right? And then you immediately go to that second question of, well, how am I passing that on? How am I passing on the good, the bad, and the ugly of how I was formed, right? And again, it's an invitation for people to get out of their political combat avatar identity and into their actual humanity, right? And um, and if we do that in setting after setting, it's why we do Civic Saturdays. It's why we created this Civic, civic Seminary program to train people like you, actually, to lead Civic Saturdays in Brooklyn, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in uh, Dallas, in San Diego, wherever it may be, um, to you know, to lead these conversations and to create that kind of space. Right. That's how we change the culture. Mm-hmm. Is we create that we commit to creating that space over and over and over again. It's going to take some time because it took us some time. Uh, to get to the level of sickness uh, in our culture that we're dealing with. But uh, I'm net hopeful, man. I mean, just conversations like this give me give me a a surplus of hope. Thank you,
6: Nat, for a thoughtful question. Uh, But Eric, great answer and to encourage people to engage with questions is such a shortcut to, to changing how we relate to each other, you know, as opposed to statement versus statement. Questions are invitations. Statements are often closed doors. Um, So I really, that resonates with me so much personally. I'm going to give you one more kind of parting opportunity. And and truly, if you don't have an answer right now, we can follow up. We like to give people an opportunity to actually take a step, to give them something tactical, tangible to do. Could be a writing exercise, could be sign up for a thing, could be a set of questions to ask the person in their lives. Uh, But as we've been talking so much about citizenship and civic power and the forms of it, and the sources of it, uh, and the ways we can wield it, do you have one or a very short list of things you would encourage someone listening to this to experiment with themselves to feel that power?
8: Yeah, you know, the, the shortest answer I can give is join or make a club. I, I honestly don't even care what it's about. I mean, ideally, okay. it's about something civic or political or, or, or social, cultural issue. Uh, but it can be a gardening club. It can Mm -hmm. be a rotisserie baseball club. It can be a you know, 80s, early 90s, uh, you know, hip hop rap club. You know, (laughs) whatever floats your boat, right? But join or start a club in which you can actually rebuild that incredibly atrophied muscle we have in the United States, our citizen muscle, right? My friend Annie Leonard, who who runs Greenpeace USA, talks about how we as Americans we have this hugely overdeveloped consumer muscle, right? We know how to buy 50 different kinds of toothpaste. We know different kinds of you know, uh, uh, platforms for our music uh, streaming choices and all this stuff, but our civic muscles are pitiful and weak, right? Yeah. Well, how do you build that? Sure, you can go protest, sure you can vote, but the simplest thing to do is actually to join or start a club, to gather up with a few people with a re- commitment to repeat your gatherings, create a sense of unity and identity, create a sense of ritual about how you gather, and then keep adding. Over time, you will figure out that, well, having to come together to create a common agenda to find common goals, to do common activities, requires negotiation, it requires reckoning with the fact that you got money and I don't have money, you've got time and I don't have time. It requires us to deal with our inequalities, our inequities. It requires us to deal with our difference in the way that you, you, you speak with an accent and I don't speak with an accent, whatever, right? But for the next three to six months, dive deep on that issue, learn about it, read about it, yeah. talk to people about it, knock on virtual doors about it, like, hey, I heard that you know about something about this, can I pick your brain about this? join or start a club on that issue, right? Great. Okay, after three to six months, maybe you'll decide that issue is your life's passion. Maybe you'll be like, okay, I got it. Like I'm I'm done with that issue. But now guess what you will have? You will have civic muscle. You will have practiced on something concrete and specific over and over again, instead of just generally, I'm thinking about power, I'm thinking about power. No, 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 lift stuff. So if you just go to our website, citizenuniversity.us, there's ways for you to join that club. Uh, participate in a Civic Saturday, Uh, start your own, kind of find ways to get um, connected with others who care about this stuff. And I think, you know, of course, a lot is lost during Zoom times, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, but I would say a lot is gained too. There's a focusing that happens in the kind of conversations that you and I are having here at day, and and the ways that people realize, okay, like they're listening to this, they're seeing ideas in the chat, like today they can start learning how to lift stuff. Uh, And uh, that to me is kind of beautiful and pretty exciting.
6: Eric Liu, ceo co-founder of citizen university thank you for the explanations and the breakdowns thank you for the examples on the ground thank you for the tangible calls to action thank you for your energy and 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 building a relationship with us for this time that we've had together so appreciate you and good luck to you to your family to your mother in particular Uh, we'll we'll be in touch thank you thank you thank you hey you it's me again It's just us, just me and you. And I got to tell you that I am fired up after that. What really connected with me was the idea that power justifies itself. And we create very convincing stories to explain the very unequal distribution of that power. But the good news is, we can create new stories of power and actually shift it and generate it. That's what we're doing with this show. That's what we're doing. With you But we aren't just here to think about and talk about power. we're here to lift stuff. In each episode, we're going to share things you can do internally and externally to strengthen your citizen practice. Don't worry about the details. We've posted them to howtocitizen.com. For this episode, there's two things you can do. The first is inspired by Eric and the work of Citizen University. You already heard him say it. Start or join a club. Ideally, it's something useful to your community, but you can have a broad interpretation of useful. Maybe it's about supporting kids in your neighborhood. Maybe it's a film club. The point is to help you practice power in relationship with others, ideally some strangers. This is big citizen stuff right here. You'll practice how groups of people make decisions, self-govern, are accountable to each other, Negotiate different needs and perspectives, collaborate, and importantly, resolve conflicts. After you do this, let us know. Send an email to action at howtocitizen.com, include episode one somewhere in the subject line, and tell us about your club. Or go one step bigger and shout it out publicly on social media. Use the hashtag howtocitizen and say something like, I don't know. I started a text message group for local business owners in my neighborhood. What, what? And then the what, what would be completely optional. Like if that's not your voice, like definitely don't. Don't do it just because I did it. Like you, you do you. This next action is something less public. We want you to practice seeing and understanding power. What Eric calls reading and writing power. It will literally become your superpower as a citizen and we are going to put This episode to use. So this is something that you're going to need to take some time with. Write things down. Type it up. I'll say it to you. But again, the details are at HowToCitizen.com. It's four steps to this here process. Number one, pick an issue that you care about that impacts a specific community or the general public. Whatever works for you. For example, could be police budgets and how large they are. I have some interest in that topic. Number two, I want you to write down who benefits from the current state of things and who doesn't. Make a list. Three, answer the question, how are the decisions about this issue made? And in that process, is there accountability, transparency, and participation by those most affected by that decision? And the last step, number four, write down who influences the decision-making process And what types of power do they use? Now, you don't have to write it down. You can rewind, pause, think out loud to yourself, give a soliloquy. Doesn't matter too much how you do it, only that you do it. And we welcome you sharing it with us, typing it, or with an audio memo if you want. Send that email again to action at howtocitizen.com. Include episode one in the subject line. We are so grateful to Eric Liu for helping us democratize democracy. Check out citizenuniversity.us for so much more about their activities, their trainings, their virtual events, and find one of Eric's many books wherever you like finding books and supporting those booksellers. You can also follow Eric online. He is on Twitter, Eric P. Liu. That's Eric with a C, the letter P, L-I-U. Now, we're going to post this whole episode, a transcript, show notes, and more resources at howtocitizen.com. Do check it out. And if you like what you experienced here, please share this show, leave a review, five stars is my humble suggestion, and sign up for my newsletter at baratunde.com, where I will announce the upcoming live tapings and more from audience members like you. You can even send me a text to 202-894-8844. Let me know you found me by just putting the word citizen so I know where you came from. And I'll send you updates that way as well. How to Citizen with Baratunde is a production of iHeartRadio Podcast. Executive produced by Nick Stumpf, Miles Gray, Elizabeth Stewart, and Baratunde Thurston. Produced by Joelle Smith. Edited by Justin Smith. Powered you
1: the black effect presents family therapy and i'm your host elliot connie
0: for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right.
2: Something that makes me crazy is when people say, "Well, I had this career before, but it was a waste." And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste. That everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is Sheep Pivots.